You are all weirdos. Weird science is the revolution. Weird science is the revolution. Welcome all you weirdos, brood kings, and everyone who enjoys a nice beheading in front of Gustav Eiffel's Tower. It is time for episode number 86 of the Weird Dose of X, the mutant member of your Weird Science Podcast family. I'm your gravitationally challenged host, Jason, broadcasting as always from the Wrong Turn Studio, high atop stately Weird Science Tower. And joining me today from inside an Orcus tech box is the severed head of my pal, Ruben. Hey, Ruben, how the heck are you today? I'm okay. Yeah, so uh, the gravitational thing, it, uh, as we record, it's uh, Wednesday, Valentine's Day. We're recording kind of early because of scheduling issues. Uh, just before recording, I went outside to do some cleanup from our big snowstorm yesterday, uh, stepped on a patch of black ice and fell down pretty hard. I, I did the full dance, dance, dance thing when you think you're going to be all right and then, then not so much. So, uh, yeah, not, not great for me out of my mature years, but I, I think my uh, my mouse clicking arm is just barely up to doing it, so we're going to get through this podcast. Uh, probably probably not so much snow up your way at the moment, I understand. Yeah, no, I, we were planning to do like a trip out to the mountains to go sledding, and now I don't think that's going to happen because I'm traveling down to sunny California next week. And by the time I get oh, back, oh. late February, usually everything is melted. Ugh. Yeah, not, not so much here. But uh, we have a couple of books to talk about today. We have Fall of the House of X number two. And we have Wolverine number 43. So we're going to jump right on into those. Fall of the House of X number two, Long Games End. Written by Jerry Duggan. Art by Lucas Werneck. Colors by Brian Valenza. Letters by Travis Lanham. Designed by Tom Muller and Jay Bowen. So when I got my review copy this week, I opened it up, took one look, and immediately messaged Ruben. And what I said was, quote, one panel into Fothox number two, and I'm already annoyed. Because that panel has dialogue of Dr. Stasis talking about Fei Long doing something that we haven't seen him do. And an editor's note that reads, see Invincible Iron Man number 15. Now, Ruben, when does Invincible Iron Man number 15 come out? Do you happen to know? No, sometime in the future. Two weeks from now, not even next week, two whole weeks. Which means that somehow the timeline of this cursed event has gotten even more cursed than it was already. Uh, again, I'm perfectly okay with nonlinear storytelling if it's on purpose. This is just a screw up. This issue it's, was not. We're supposed to know things in this issue. We can tell by the way it's yeah. being told, right? Yeah, it's really frustrating because there's a lot of stuff where I'm like, that doesn't seem to make sense. But I'm like, I, I can't tell you if it does or not because maybe it happens in the Iron Man issues that we haven't read. Yeah, I, I don't know what's going on. How can the ending of a five year giant cycle of action, how can the big finale just be this much of a train wreck? Uh, I know editor Jordan White is going on to other things, but seems to have checked out early. I, I don't know if it's his fault. All I know is that the, the books are not coming out the way they should. Well, anyway. it's almost like we've got two events. The way this feels right now to me is we've got the convoluted train wreck of all of the House of X and mm -hmm. the interesting you know, spiritual successor to Hawks Pox, which is Rise of the Powers of X. And I don't see how they're related in any any way other than... You know, one is in the future. And yeah, the in general, only kind of crossover we have is the whole uh, Rasputin gets ripped out of the bad part to be put into the good part. So that's like a promotion for her. Yes. The, the only thing that – the way this all seems to me also is weird is, right, Hickman gave us work as this big threat, right? They seem very ominous. And it just seems like, the you know, Moira X was going to be a big thing. And in Duggan's world, they're just like comical supervillains, right? Like – 
they don't seem like a threat at all other than they actually accomplish something. It's sort of like they're shocked that they were effective. They're not um, yeah, they're not as scary as they used to be. No. Which is a shame. And then yeah. And then the you know, the Enigma engine over in Rise actually seems like a real threat. You know, it's big, large, you know, how are these people with these crazy powers gonna effectively overcome it, right? Absolutely. That's interesting to me. This is like it seems like Orc is just overrun by any mutant, right? You're just like how did <laughs> how did Nimrod in the original attack work, right? Because it seems like now the mutants are, you know, a much more reduced populace, and yet they're kicking. They, some they serious, seem to be but, completely outclassing the people who were super threats not too long ago. Yes, even though they're completely disheveled and you know at odds. Oh well. So best as I can tell, here's what we missed between issues that we're supposed to know here. Uh, nothing big. Just that the the entire war for Earth has begun. Okay. Uh, Tony's Mysterium fleet of Voltron ships arrived, hidden within a larger fleet of Iraqi ships. Uh, boy, I, I bet that was slash will be cool. So now the mutants are openly at war with Orcas on several fronts. And in this book, we see four main events happen. Number one, we see mutants attack the Bloom, the Orca satellite. We get a scene updating us on the whereabouts of Krakoa, who, as we recall, comically skedaddled last issue after hawking a magic loogie at Nimrod. Number three, we see Rogue and Gambit bring back a certain character who's been missing for a while. Sorry, Ruben, it's not Abigail Brand. And finally, we see the execution of Cyclops, uh, up to a point. We'll get there soon enough. So let's start uh, on the bloom. Uh, th- this kicks off when Polaris arrives with a decapitated celestial head filled to the gills with brood, which we saw, you know, that was definitely foreshadowed at the end of last issue, so glad to see that. Uh, using her powers as the, or at least a, master of magnetism, Polaris makes the head of nowhere with a K chew a hole right into the bloom, which, uh, yeah, not gonna lie, that was, that was pretty cool. I like that. Uh, Polaris then enters through the chew hole, looking like Darth Vader at the start of A New Hope. She turns the brood loose on the Orcus goons within, and we get a page almost bloody enough to be part of the Sabretooth War. Polaris well, I want to having- talk about something that really annoys me about this section. All right. So, so she makes this attack, right? And they talk about how, like, I could have just pushed the bloom into orbit and had it, you know, crash. But then Orcus would flee, right? And we don't want to do that. And then That's what she by, says, the, yes. by the end of the up issue, they freaking let Orcus fly off with like a bunch of skate pods because that's what X-Men do. They give people a second chance. I was like, exactly. It's it, the, the tone the goes, I mean, here, here she is killing people. She's having the brood rip people. There's not quite bloody entrails, but it's, she's clearly out to kill. And then in just one panel, it's like in that one panel, somebody realized, oh no, we need an excuse to have Dr. Stasis and MODOK get away. So we'll put in a little narration box saying, oh, uh, X-Men always give their enemies second chances, you know, because they're the good guys. Yes. It, doesn't, it doesn't hold together. No, it really upset me. The first part, I was like, oh, this is cool. Yeah. The collars are off, right? She's kicking ass and getting revenge. I'm, yeah, she's I see I mean, she's Magneto's daughter, and she is showing that that spirit here. Just like that uh, really cool scene in... Oh, what silly event was it where Magneto, Magneto was you know, bringing like satellites down on people? Uh, it was, it was the one that looked like plants versus zombies. That, that cool event. Oh, yes. Empire. Yes. Empire. Right, right. Which okay, I thought so, was pretty cool. Yeah. That, it, that it, part, that specific part, just to be clear. <laughs> understood. So while this is going on, meanwhile, an Orcus troop transport or prisoner transport actually is, is bringing a, a, an important prisoner to the bloom. I don't really know why a prisoner would be brought to the space station and not, say, to the Guy Ridge Detention Center, but sure, fine. Uh, this prisoner is Wolverine, 
except that the extra-large Orcus goon guarding him is a disguised Colossus. If the first scene with Polaris reminded me of A New Hope, this one is like a direct rip-off slash homage to the Jabba bit in Return of the Jedi, except that, sadly, uh, I don't think we're going to get to see Colossus in the chainmail bikini. Wolverine and Colossus murder even more of the Orcus goons to death, and they're joined by Nightcrawler, and uh, Nightcrawler here also joins in on the killing, which, again, kind of surprising for our, our, our little blue friend. What uh, what does uh, Nightcrawler do here? Did you notice this a little bit? Yeah, it just teleports a guy into space and then teleports back. With a big old grin on his face, like he's having the best time ever. It's it's really not really matching with the character of Nightcrawler as, as we've seen him lately. Weird. Uh, this was not a planned cooperative attack, just, just a coincidence. They do get to pass the news to Polaris that Firestar is a double agent, and she probably shouldn't kill her, so that's nice. In the end, the bloom is totally destroyed. The brood are just kind of quickly dismissed and sent on their way, so they're gone. But Stasis and Modok escape, and, and Modok retires from Orcus. Don't think he got his gold watch. And yeah, this is where we get the narration, narration box, and the, the pods are allowed to leave. Oh, well. Really nilly, yes. Yeah. Which didn't seem like an option. And then also we find out that Firestar has been captured. When did that happen? We didn't is that see in the that- X-Men Unlimited? I don't think so. Um, okay. Yeah, Dr. Stasis kind of said, you can't kill me. If you kill me, you'll never see Firestar again. And then, yeah, she's missing. And Stasis seems to be involved in that end of things. It seems to be a plot point we're going to come back to in this, may probably the next issue, but kind of clumsily done. Something's up with Firestar, yeah. where she is. I just, they should have had, I mean, I know they, they kind of had some suspicions, but then she did something to convince them that she was on their side. And yeah, so it just seemed really... Yeah, did her cover get blown? Are they onto her? It was that was a really cool thing set up at the Hellfire Gala, and it, it never really got to play out the way I was hoping. Right, she was never really in danger from the X Men. Uh, she was never really about to be caught by Orcus. It, it, they didn't really take advantage of that thing that was set up. Now we head down to Earth, where Krakoa has been caught in a big old net by two Stark Sentinels. Not quite sure where, because the backgrounds here are non-existent. But an Emma TK balloon says something about uh, the Western United States, which is a big place. So we're somewhere between, say, Bismarck, North Dakota, and San Diego. So somewhere in there. Uh, anywhere, wherever we are, Juggernaut uses a gun he borrowed from Cable to break Rokoa loose. Also, there's another kind of sloppy fight scene between Emma, Sink, and a Stark Sentinel that we're again told is in New York, but could be happening literally anywhere. Not even a tall building in the background to give any sense of place. So, uh, yeah, this was not great. What did you think of these kind of action scenes here? They were action scenes. <laughs> it should be exciting, right? Krakoa, the actual personification yeah. of the island, is fleeing across the U.S. It's being caught by two giant robots in a giant net, and it just looks kind of tossed off, kind of ordinary. Yeah. It, it sort of felt like it happens too fast. One, I still... I mean, you've sort of explained to me that this is the sentient part of Krakoa, like, distilled into the body of, like, a I, golem. That's, but that I figure, but, yeah. But it hasn't really been spelled out, right? And then when it ran off, I didn't realize it was running across the ocean to, like, the United States. No, that was... <laughs> that that could have been Why it came here, who knows? Yes. And, and then, again, this scene could happen absolutely anywhere. We only know Western United States because of some words in a box. It, it's just a scene that kind of happens to happen. And then, you know, Juggernaut here fighting the Stark Sentinels with a cable gun, which now suddenly they've got a gun that can take down the Sentinels. It wasn't the whole point that these things were, like, so formidable that 
with Iron yeah, Man upgrades. You one shot the two of them with just a just a you know big old gun. We've seen a lot of different ways of mutants defeating Stark Sentinels, and usually there has to be something clever going on. Like like Cable himself kind of went in inside, cuts through the leg, and kind of guts it from the inside. That was neat. We've seen some other cool ways, even like Ms. Marvel uh, making that kind of explosive device get charged up and make them blow up, which was silly, but at least it acknowledged that this is a big threat and you can't just, you know, one shot it. Yes. If these guns are that effective, just why don't all the mutants have these guns, right? <laughs> that makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah. The other thing I'd say is, have you ever tried to get a net off of something? Like, can you imagine a net the size of like, a, you know, I don't know what would be at a parallel, but just this thing's massive, right? It's like multi, multi-story building size Krakoa. It's got a net around it and Juggernaut just grabs it and pulls it off. Like, yeah, that would not very be sim- simplified. It's like we yes. had to have, I don't even know why this scene is here because Krakoa was loose at the end of the last issue. It's yes. loose again at the end of this issue. So we had, a, oh, it was captured and then freed for, for no particular narrative reason as far as I can It just fills pages. Yeah, you could just completely delete this whole section and I would not have thought any different and the way but, it's taught, too, it's, it's cutting back and forth between some Rogan Gambit things. And I was sure they were involved in this rescue, but no, they're they're completely somewhere else. Again, with no sense of place, anyone can be anywhere, and it doesn't matter. So well, let's, let's go off to, to Rogan Gambit. Uh, they bail out of an X-Jet and land on the grounds of, quote, what was once Xavier's school for gifted youngsters. And then they bring Manifold back, which doesn't yeah, completely kill my theory that Manifold is one of the redacted team members in Rise of the Powers of X, but could complicate it a bit. Yeah, this part felt important and good. I was like, oh, okay, now we're bringing him back. Good. I like it. Yeah, I liked it there. I have some, I have some questions. Uh, I but went then back we get and- the Lactuna part, and I was like, what? <laughs> Why is this in here? It, yeah, so let, let's let's talk about some things here. I, I went back and reread the scene in Rogan Gambit number five when Manifold mm-hmm. is stored away in that capsule. But Ruben, do you remember where that scene happened? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no. I, I didn't either, so I went back and read it. It was at the treehouse in Central Park. In fact, okay. it was inside the treehouse, one of the glassy spheres that was made to look like, like a park inside the sphere. But in this book, he's recovered at the Xavier School. Confuses man. Maybe this is the Central Park version of the school, which would at least be nearby. Again, we, we don't really get any sense of place, so I don't know what's going on. But yeah. that's where he is. And, and secondly, do you remember how exactly Rogue and Destiny managed to coerce Manifold to get into the capsule? They just knock him out, right? No, yeah. I, I didn't either. He, uh, if you recall, in that miniseries, the power broker had implanted control devices in people's necks. And they used and it. And one of them was a Manifold, and they u- Manifold, mm. they used the remote control from the power broker to make him do that. So that control device should still be in Manifold's neck, which I don't think is going to come up as a plot point, but logically, it should. Yeah. Okay, that, that's stuff in my nitpicking for this scene. Manifold is back, and he's pissed, and I'm going to talk about the Lactuka thing now, because it took me a couple reads to get it. Uh, it looks like he starts to be so mad that he fights with Gambit and the Dex Rogue, using his powers in ways that I didn't think he could do, but fine. Uh, then Rogue's face cracks, reveals Destiny's mask underneath, and then Rogue takes off that mask and reveals Lactuka underneath. Lactuka and yes. Manifold do know each other. They work together in X-Men Red. Uh, Lactuka even calls him little brother, so they have a they have a relationship. Uh, Lactuka here tells him, hey, hey buddy, just chill out. The Rogue and Gambit are kind of clumsy, but they're they're trying to help. And then what happens is it's revealed that everything since Manifold came out of the capsule has been like a dream, a vision. That fight never really happened. It was only of the mind. So 
I hope this is because Lactuka is going to play a part going forward, and this wasn't just an excuse to have a fight scene that didn't really happen. So that's what I get from that scene. What uh, what did, what did you think about the whole Lactuka bit? I didn't mind it, but I don't understand how Lactuka is now involved in this. Like, it seems like he was aware to talk to Manifold here, but like, was he? Did they tell him? Like, did Rogan Gambit tell him the plan? Did Did Lactuka he tell Rogan Gambit to these- go? crazy cosmic powers right uh, yeah she's at in tune with the universe in a way that's kind of like manifold but like even more omega so she can kind of just know things and do things and i'm okay Whenever. with that again as long as it this is going somewhere okay last scene uh, this is where cyclops doesn't actually get executed spoiler so we're in paris which we can tell because hey there's the eiffel tower in the background hooray a background and Omega Sentinel is there with her right hand formed into a sword about to execute him. And once again, this quasi-legal Cyclops trial punishment thing continues to make no sense, right? <laughs> what What's going on? He's about to be executed by Omega Sentinel in an incredibly public place, like in front of the Eiffel Tower. There's like the most public place literally in the surface, on the surface of the earth. Yeah. Uh, seemingly nobody Eiffel else Tower. is around though, right? There's no other people. <laughs> this isn't being you know, overseen by other Orcus folks. Maybe yeah. because the war is on, they need to kill him quickly, but then why do it here in public? Yeah. Uh, I don't know what's going on. Just to let you know, they're in France. <laughs> it's like, in like, France give, is right give next him a to the baguette and a beret and a, you know, a striped <laughs> shirt, cigarette, why not? And we know no one else is there because Cyclops is saved at the last second. He was expecting to be saved, but expecting his savior to be Gene we even get some more of that sappy dialogue about how much he, he loves his wife so very much. Uh, and, and no, his savior is Dr. Aaliyah Greger, who takes the Omega Sentinel down with a mini EMP. Uh, and I, I know I know you hate this, Ruben, so tell us how much you hate this. Yes. Yeah. This is just really insulting to Omega Sentinel over and over again, this character that had been made out by Hickman to be pretty cool and interesting. Yeah. Omega, and beyond write this, her name. Yeah. Beyond this, they're like... Dr. Greger's like, we can only do this one more time. Or like, it's like a one and done thing, right? Like she'll patch yeah. this vulnerability. I'm like, this is the exact same vulnerability they used in Miss Marvel. This is, shouldn't she have patched it then, right? <laughs> like they literally disabled her with like some kind of electric thing. Yeah, you're supposed, these, these Sentinels are supposed to, you know, learn and change and adapt. And uh, Omega Sentinel not doing a lot of adapting here. Just yeah, goes down so, like, like Dr. a schmuck once again. She's not going to adapt for shit, right? Like, the next time somebody needs to disable her, just shock her. That seems to be all you need to do. All you got to do. It's just Very threatening. Just the same thing as throw Nimrod and some uh, Amber, right? That'll stop him. Same thing. We we need to stop him for a second. And I, it's like a placeholder idea. Like, you write that down. I'm going to come back and, and make this better later. And then never came back and made it better. So why is Dr. Gregor suddenly turning on Orcus? She has suddenly and belatedly come to the conclusion that the AI side of Orcus may not be entirely on the up and up. Computer systems she can't access and massive unexplained spending. And she asks Cyclops, what do you know about Sentinel City? Uh, so meanwhile, in the last three panels, we see Nimrod break out of that amber loogie he was trapped in. So how long do you think he was in there? What, what time scale <laughs> do you think, Rob? Hours? Days? It's long it enough for Krakoa to make it to the Western U.S., right? <laughs> So however long it was, now Nimrod's back on the board. He had to be off the board for this issue. He's back on the board for the next issue. Oh, well. Yeah. Yeah. Back to Dr. Gregor. Do you buy her sudden change of heart? I shouldn't, but since 
Duggan is dialing all this in. I do. Okay. I, this I makes no sense to me. If we got some foreshadowing, right? Show her kind of, hmm, that's funny. I don't, I don't remember this money being spent. It's, oh, don't worry about that. That's for a project. You know, give me a little, a little, you know, the way fiction is written, a little foreshadowing, a little character building. I mean, we get some of that in, in Powers, right? Rise of Powers, where, you know, a human walks in and the AIs like stop talking about whatever they're talking about. Like to show that elsewhere, right? Right. With Dr. Gregor. Yes, with Dr. Gregor, where she would have had some insight into like, hey, they're not on the up and up. In this, they could have even done it. They could have even done it right after Cyclops, you know, had his little commentary, right? Because then that could have shown, yeah, the seed was planted, and then she saw some weird stuff. Yeah, last issue, uh, Dr. Gregor was the one who made that speech to humanity, saying how awful mutants are, right? So she's seemed to be fully on the on on board there. And even if she did suspect her teammates were up to something. Why go to Cyclops of all people, right? She still hates mutants. Mutants killed her husband. So even if she doesn't like the robots either, I don't think she'd go to Cyclops. It doesn't really work for me. Oh, also, I did look up Sentinel City. Uh, the only mention in the Marvel fandom wiki is from issue zero of something called Universe X, uh, which was an Alex Ross book published in the year 2000. So I'm thinking probably unrelated, but, you know, that's that's the only time that phrase came up. Ruben, you had a, a possible idea from a Morrison one, I think? Yeah, so back in the day, Morrison in, I don't remember which um, South American country, but basically in somewhere in the jungle, there was like a mother mold that um, was like overgrown with weeds and um, kind of became like similar to the vault, but it was um, a place where sentinels were being developed out in the wilds. That would be a, a cool connection, but kind of crazy to bring something like that out now after we've had five years of sentinel stuff to just yeah, you know, spring that on. So maybe not. Uh, maybe I'm guessing it's, it's a, a new, new idea. Sentinel City. Yeah, I mean, I'm guessing it's a new idea. Sentinel uh, City makes me think of multiple like sentient Sentinels, right? Not like the Stark Sentinels, not like the old Mark Six or whatever Sentinels. Yeah, we only have two intelligent Sentinels, unless they've been off, you know, secretly making baby Sentinels in the background we didn't know about. I- I'm curious about this whole city idea. I'm guessing it's going to be new, and they're just going to be like, oh, yeah, Orcas have been building a Sentinel City, which we never saw. <laughs> which every time I say that, I want to start singing Suffragette City, but uh, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm not one of those. I, I can't write lyrics like Jim does, so maybe maybe he's going to have to do Sentinel City for us. So, yeah, that's the book. Uh, art in the book, not so great. It starts off pretty well. I like the opening scenes on the space station. Uh, he makes Polaris look really cool. Later on, the lack of backgrounds, no sense of place. Lucas Warnock has done a lot better. I guess the one panel of Emma walking to Orcus Moons on leashes was kind of okay. That's really the only sort of memorable image in the book. Really wish that Krakoa scene had looked epic. It should look epic, but it doesn't. So yeah, it's a, a bad issue in what seemed to be a bad series. Really poor timing for this whole side of the X-Line to start to fall apart. Uh, Lactuka bit was pretty decent. Hope that carries on. Not enough to carry an issue. So yeah... Duggan continuing to make what should be a thrilling conclusion to a years-long saga feel incredibly ordinary, which means five out of ten. That's pretty rough. You're you're more punitive than I am. I am, <laughs> but I'm in the fives. I'm going to say five eight. Five um, eight. A generous five eight. A generous five eight. Yeah, and that's because there are there are parts that were cool. Like I thought it was cool when Nowhere showed up and the Brood. True. Or chicken butt, right? And I appreciated that. Uh, some of the X-Men were like, what the hell are we doing working with the brood? Because that's, <laughs> you know, that's what I was thinking. 
but everything that was cool just gets ruined, right? Like I said, it was kind of ridiculous yeah. that they're like... For no, me, the wasted potential is why I got to give this a, a really low score. Yeah. It's like, take no prisoners. Oh, wait, we're just we're X-Men. We're going to let them escape because we yeah. have to, if, right? If this, we can't kill off MODOK, right? If, if this lame stuff happened in like an ordinary <laughs> issue of X-Men a year and a half ago, I'd be like, fine, six, six, three, whatever. But we're in Fall of the House of X number two. You, you can't be you can't be this bad at this yeah. time. It's like, you know, a shank in a... Uh, extra point in in the Super Bowl. Who would yeah. do that, right? There were things okay. I cared about, right? It was nice to see the Manifold storyline pick back up and, you know, Rogue and Gambit. I kind of laughed when they joked about, you know, oh, we're killing people. Let's reform the evil Brotherhood of Evil Mutants. So there, there were there were good nods, but my score is going to continue to go down. Like, if the next issue is this bad, I'll probably be in the force. Okay, so let's move on to what might actually be a, a, a better, more intellectual book this week than what oh we just God. read. And this <laughs> one is Wolverine number 43, Sabretooth War Part 3, written by Victor Laval, really this time, and Ben Percy, art by Jeff Shaw, colors by Alex Sinclair, so to my mind, the better art team that's been on this book, uh, letters by Corey Pettit. Yeah, so the first thing to say is this issue, is, this issue does have a lot more Victor Laval feel to it. Uh, part of that is just the inclusion of more of the cast of the Exiles from that series, but also the writing in general. Don't worry, though, we still have more than a little gore for people who say things like, I like the killing. We also have the return of, yeah, the return of the art team, Jeff Shaw, Alex Sinclair, big upgrades, starting off pretty positive. This story features several quick flashbacks to Logan and Creed's old days working for Weapon X. In fact, and it took me a second to really get this, these flashbacks are Logan's only appearances in this issue. Present-day Logan does not appear on panel. So maybe those flashbacks are so they can still legally put the name Wolverine on the cover. But they do also lead into the reveal of Sabretooth's new claimed additional motivation here, which is to break Logan down, make him more back into the joyful killer he used to be back in those Weapon X days, which is a motivation we see sometimes in comics, right? Not too different from the Joker wanting to kill members of the Bat family to make Batman into the purest version of himself. Uh, what did you think of this new addition to Sabretooth's motivations? Um, I don't need my Sabretooth redeemed. So <laughs> Yeah, I don't think that's going to happen. I, I wouldn't worry about that. Yeah, so I, I feel like these, these motivations are thin, um, but it's what they're doing. <laughs> it didn't bother me, but I, I just don't need, I don't think he's that complex. Yeah, he's he's not a complicated villain. He's 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 saber tooth. He rips things apart. He he likes the killing. I like the killing. Right. That's yeah. That's, it's that's a total fun. jerk. I I buy more that he's like he just for whatever reason doesn't like Logan and he's gonna mess with him all the time. Yeah, I that's don't need fine. this. I, like, I don't mind the oh, like we were those friends were the good once. Old days. Yeah, not yeah. The, the, the good old days. Things were simpler then. I can kind of in my head write that into the whole. You know, Krakoa story, oh, Sabretooth, he, he couldn't deal with the new modern way that mutants were living. He wants to go back to when things were simpler. I, I, I kind of like that. I'm, I'm okay with that. So aside from the Sabretooth thing, we have three story strands being played out here. These are, number one, Dissension Among the Sabretooth, number two, Quentin in a Box, and number three, The Return of the Exiles. And as usual, we're going to take those in order. So uh, the Sabretooth, this little multiversal family, not happy. Last issue, they let Logan go when they could have easily killed him, and partly as a result, two of their own members are dead. That's the Doc Samson Sabretooth and the Captain America Sabretooth. Although only the Doc Samson Tooth is X'd out on the title page, 
which I think is just an editorial mistake. Not not that those ever happen lately. Uh, but the lady Sabretooth and the camo Sabretooth are pissed off at regular Sabretooth. He's too strong for them to take down. He wounds camo pretty badly. And while this happens, a certain someone looks on from captivity above. Uh, sorry, Ruben, it's not Abigail Brand. Uh, it's Laura, <laughs> young version. Uh, I love a running gag. Uh, the last I wouldn't issue- want Abigail Brand to be around Sabretooth, by the way, just to be clear. So I have no that, problem that with this being be, Laura. Maybe that'll be our next miniseries of the, the two of them. That, that'll be a buddy comedy. So, yeah, the last issue teased us that Laura might be dead, but she was just captured. And, yeah, that's that's fine for – we don't know exactly what Wolverine saw that made him scream, but something that made him know that she was in the clutches of his, his, his enemy. And it was good. It worked for me. I was wrong, but um, I was like, okay, this works. Yeah, cool. We, we, we nice can't reveal. kill off all, all the Lauras. These had at least one left, I think. Yeah. So, re- regular Sabretooth left the building. So Laura tries to get under the skin, not literally in this case, of the other two, taunting them for being subservient, right? They're pack animals. They don't want to be the beta. Lady Tooth doses Laura with an orcus gas she calls Essence of Leech, which temporarily saps mutant powers. I thought this was a fun little throwback. You, you remember, remember who Leech is? I'm aware of Leech, yeah. Yeah, it was a, a Morlock kid created by Chris Claremont back in the 80s. His deal is that he nullifies all the superpowers of anyone who comes near him, like mutant powers, magical powers, anything else. So I hope this doesn't mean that Orcus has captured poor little Leech. But, uh, you know, and again, it would be nice to have this. If they had Leech gas, we probably would have seen it before. But, you know, I, I'm okay with this story being on its own. We know that Sabretooth captured some weird, creepy tech on that UFO thing. So that's fine. Kind of cool. Lightswell would have made more sense to me. It's like they just introduced something that does the same thing, but yeah, that could that could have worked as unnecessary well. Unnecessary complexity. I'm just happy that oh, I, I recognize the word leech. That makes me feel smart. I like to feel smart. So uh, back to Laura. Her regen abilities are gone for now, which is unfortunate for her because Lady Sabretooth tears out her tongue and her entire lower jaw. Yuck. Yes, I, I told you. Still plenty of gore. I'm pretty sure that would kill you if you <laughs> did not have regeneration powers at that point. Yeah, a lot is a lot of blood. Not quite as much blood as at the end of uh, X-Men 29, still a lot of blood. Uh, one funny thing I noticed in this gory splash page, Lady Sabretooth has a, a good bit of facial hair. Not the full-on mutton chops for a regular Sabretooth. He's got a fringe along each side of her jawline. He's a, I think it's what you call a, a handsome woman, is, is the way to say that. Nice touch. She's a Sabretooth. Uh, so after putting the now literally speechless Laura back in her cage, Lady Tooth and Camo Tooth chat about how, well, you know, Laura, she's obnoxious, but she wasn't wrong. They are letting Sabretooth push them around. Uh, their new plan, I don't think I like this plan. Not the smartest plan ever. Uh, no, but Ruben, Sabretooth's what was, what was not, their plan? not particularly bright, so. <laughs> That's true. I was okay. This group specifically could, could pull off a dumb plan, and I would be like, okay, you're just idiots. So they're going to go find the multiversal Graydon Creed that was going around killing all of the saber teeth in different dimensions. Right. This is and the, then, this is our our universe's great in Creed, the actual son of the regular saber tooth, but he he's been around in the multiverse. He got he got knocked through a gate or something in uh, the Victor Laval series and they're going to go try to find him and uh yeah, Camo Tooth says maybe that's not the smartest idea, but Lady Tooth assures him that, you know, it's like a bomb. We just got to put him in the right place and not be around when he explodes. And, I'm no destiny, but I don't see this going well for them. But yeah, like you say, they're pretty dumb. So dumb people have a dumb plan. 
the math checks out. Uh, next bit, Quentin in a box. We do get full confirmation of pretty much what we suspected. That glowing pink magic lantern Sabretooth has does indeed contain the severed head of Quentin Choir. Can't wave the explanation about Orcus Tech keeping the head alive and functional, but that's fine. Comic book. Sabretooth is using Quentin now as a kind of a psychic Siri, or like a chat GPT, having it psychically spy on Logan and report back to him. I thought this was a really nifty idea, a cool use of Quentin's powers in Sabretooth's clutches. Uh, but what did you think of that? Were you, were you as uh, entertained by this as I was? Yeah, no, I think it's good. Uh, and it gives us a path back to bringing Quentin back, right? Because he's crazy SMA can maybe get the head and he can regenerate somehow. Yeah, and I liked how Quentin's head is having some complications, right? Talking a bit like a machine that's on the fritz. We get a full nine-panel grid page of the head going through several cycles of glowing and then not glowing. And I was confused by this, but I, I think this is tied to the message that another character gets in a later scene. So I think this is the message being sent. Is, is that also what you took from this page? Yeah, this is the most confusing part for me. It's like a full page, and I don't know what it's doing. Yeah, I think this is the message that uh, will be received by the exiles kind of the next thing. So yeah, that's... Uh, that once again, I'm, I'm not destiny. I do see Quentin's severed head eventually biting Sabretooth in the ass. Probably not literally, but hey, maybe. So yeah, now we're back to the return of the exiles, who are, of course, the other mutants who had been banished to the pit, the ones featured in Victor Laval's first two Sabretooth miniseries. So while she's sleeping, uh, Oya, who's not a psychic herself, she receives a psychic message from Quentin. So I think this is her receiving the message that we just saw get sent on that nine-panel grid page, which was a funny way of doing it. But yeah, I, I like that. I'm confused, and then I see what's going on, and I turn the page back and say, oh yeah, that, that would happen. I'm, I'm okay with that. She does share a history with Quentin. Uh, they tried to escape the Hellfire Academy together in a Jason Aaron series from 2012 called Wolverine and the X-Men. So it, it makes sense that he would reach out to her specifically. The vision she gets is of Quentin's body being ripped to pieces by those saber teeth in Krakoa from issue number one. And we do see that, right, a body is ripped to shreds, head is preserved, it all hangs together. She tells the rest of the team about this. They eventually agree that, uh, yeah, we have a responsibility to try to go stop saber tooth. And they still have that skull-shaped seed they were given by Doug Ramsey. He had told them to drop the seed at the feet of saber tooth and that it wouldn't kill him but it would do something to him that would make him wish it had just killed him. So yeah, that was uh, that was a pretty good book of, of Wolverine. I, I'm surprised, but I really liked it. Yeah, no, it gave me exactly what I wanted, which was you need to expand on what's going on here, right? Yeah, you got to add some more complexity to the fight. And they did. Yes. They did a great job. And the infighting with the Sabretooth brew is like perfect for this character, right? Because they're always <laughs> untrustworthy. It's a classic and, comic book and, you know, genre movie kind of trope. You know, the, the villains never get along with each other and that's what's their downfall. But it's a classic for a reason. It works. And I didn't necessarily need um, Sabretooth to kind of reminisce about Logan, but I get it. it it's fine enough. And I do think that part of this is just, oh, we need to have Logan in the book somewhere. And that's how we can do it because they don't want to cut away to what he's doing right now. This is supposed to be about the other character. So I'm fine. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't bother me that much. and. Last I'd say is, you know, we we're like, well, where is Victor Laval showing up in this, right? Like, none of these stories feel like his, you know, that he's contributing. This definitely yeah. was his stuff, right? So for sure, it's nice to see it get woven in, and it works, and it's done in a well way where it doesn't feel jarring. It's like 
Yeah, it's it's not an intellectual book by any stretch of the imagination, right? This isn't Kieran Gillen messing with time and space and timelines, but it's it has some actual cool ideas in it, right? Quentin's head in a box is done well here. Uh, the plot to bring Great and Creed back, I didn't I didn't see that coming. Uh, the return of the exiles, and we're finally going to pay off a plot point set up in the very first Victor Laval Sabretooth miniseries with that seed. I mean. We complained all through the second miniseries that, hey, what are you doing with that seed? And, and here it finally comes back. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, and that with an art awesome. team I enjoy, I'm going to give uh, Wolverine number 43 an 8.3 out of 10. Nice. Yeah. How about I, yourself? I'm, I was thinking 8, um, but I really like talking about it and I'm kind of excited. God, I'm excited about a Wolverine series. So it gets some extra points just for that. So I'll go. It, yeah. Uh, I think I'll try an 8.3. Yeah, I had five, also but... written down, and I had also written down eight originally, but yeah, like you say, talking about it, and I get in contrast with that other book that we didn't like so much. This, this <laughs> is a well-written book. This is maybe my favorite Victor Laval issue, at least, at least uh, in a long time, because we were pretty down on that last series towards the end. Yeah, and now, so, now I see there's enough depth that maybe this is actually a ten issue run. But I think most sure. impressive for me is, you know, this is coming out every other week, and it seems to be pretty solid every week. So good on them. They must have plotted this out like pretty far in advance to have this much. Yeah, just when we were starting to get kind of bored saying that, oh, we need something new, they they give us something a little new, a little more complex. So that uh, that timing works. And and it makes me wonder if, if the uh, Wolverine kind of roadshow issues were just like, yeah, we're going to work on this cool thing. So we need to just kind of string it along with just some half-assed story to you know take up five issues. <laughs> Yeah, and those are our books for the week. So uh, looking ahead to next week, uh, we have X-Force number 49 coming out. And that's going to be, uh, we have that, the new old beast and Wonder Man hanging out on the cover. So that sounds like fun. We have Rise of the Powers of X number two, which I'm super looking forward to. And then also, not X-related, but we get Ultimate Spider-Man number two. We get Gods number five. So also a big week for, week for our old buddy, Jonathan Hickman. So that should be fun. So now, Ruben, what do you think our loyal listeners should do while you're off uh, having fun in the sun? Yeah, well, when I travel, I'll, I'll be reading more X-Men comics, right? So that's what they should do as well. Have a great week, everybody. And I hid my window. So where is the button? Button, button. That's not the right window. So many windows. So little time. <laughs> and stop.